Colossians chapter 1. And in verse 24, this is this is Paul. Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote Colossians. He, he's talking about what it means to be a minister to the church. He says, God has called me to be a minister. And he says it's, uh, he has to suffer for the sake of the church. We don't like talking about suffering, but it's all way through the New Testament, but we have to suffer for the message. I mean, Jesus even said, you know, carry your cross. You know, if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. If you want to share in all his glories, you have to share in all his sufferings. Can't get away from it. Um, but, uh, but before I get mislaid, then in verse, but he also says that he's been called to preach the word of God. And he has a message from God himself. And verse 26, he says it, and I'm going to read from the NLT. He says this, this message, the word of God, was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. What's that mean? That means it's for the Jews and the Gentiles. It means that this glory, this inheritance is for whoever is a human being who has two legs. Well, maybe two legs because I think parrots can. But anyone who is a human being, this message is for you. This glory is for you. That's what it means by saying Gentiles too. And then this is incredible. It says, and this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Christ living in you gives you assurance of partaking in the inheritance of the glory that was won on the cross at Calvary. The message that has been said from the beginning of the world, because Christ was crucified before the beginning of the world, it says in the, in the, in the Bible somewhere, and I can't remember the verse, but anyway, it says before the beginning of the world, I think it's Ephesians, Christ was crucified. And this is for why? So that Christ can live in you. What is the secret to seeing God's kingdom come to earth? Christ in me. Christ in you. What is the secret for, for um, going, going anywhere in God? Christ in you. Christ in you. That is the message. And in verse 28, he says, says this. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God, perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Paul's calling as a minister of God. One, preach Christ crucified, preach the word of God. Two, make disciples. Doesn't say that his calling is, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm taking a bit of preacher's liberty, to create big churches, to have amazing worship teams, to do any of the stuff that we associate with church. It says this, to build people up into the fullness, into the maturity, into the completeness, so that the people that you are serving become complete, full, mature in Christ, so that they know Christ for themselves so that they can access the inheritance of God for themselves, so they can walk as children of light, Christ in them, the secret. I go back a, if I go back a, a, a couple of books, you might want to turn there, Ephesians. 
he says something very similar in, in chapter 4. In verse 11, he's saying that, he, that Christ gave gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. There's one I missed. Pastors. Um, but why? Verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is my aim this morning? To encourage you to inspire you, to teach you, to lead you, to sometimes use a bit of discipline maybe, because that's what comes in, in discipleship, so that you attain who you are supposed to be in Christ. The goal is not to become a pastor. The goal is not to become an apostle. The goal is not to become a prophet. The goal is to become complete in Christ, a child of God who is accessing the fullness of heaven. Mature, grown up. I don't know, mature has kind of like got a bad word now, isn't it? But meet someone who's immature and you kind of like mature, don't you? Jared uh, tweeted, uh, I think in early in, in, in January, something which I, I quite liked. And it was, he was retweeting someone else. It says this, consumerism from, sorry, I'll tell you who's, who wrote it in their tweet, Dan White Jr., I haven't got a clue who he is, but if Jared's retweeting, it must be someone that could. Consumerism turned the church into a service provider. I want good preaching. I want amazing worship. I want great kids' programs. Would we go to church if it was a bunch of ragamuffin Jesus followers gathering round a table trying to love God and love neighbours? I think we're somewhere along the line in the West, we've made an error in our churches. We've made it too easy to come, too easy to stay immature. We've mollycoddled, is that the right word? Mollycoddled people. Rather than allowing people to grow up into the maturity of who they are in Christ, we've allowed them to become servants to a machine of a service, putting on a service, putting on a service, so that an event could become big when the Bible talks about that you become big in God. The inheritance is Christ in you. Not an amazing preach. Not an amazing service. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ demonstrating in you. I love the fact we've got an amazing worship team here this morning. Can we give them a hand for brilliant worship this morning? Sorry, don't take offence to this, but I would rather have a worshipping church than, than, a, than a great worship team. It's not about if I can have two or three people who can sing well and play well. It's, am I training people up so that they can worship God? All over the Gospels, you find people coming to Jesus and they worship him without a band, without music, without someone leading them. We, as we mature into Christ, can worship God no matter what the worship leader's doing, no matter what the church leader has doing. It is irrelevant if I am mature in Christ, I will worship him no matter what. I'll worship him if we've got no band, if we've got no singer, because he is worthy. My worship is not dependent on what happens on the platform. My worship is dependent on my connection with him and what he's done. I like great preaching. I cannot tolerate bad preaching now. Sorry. I can't tolerate bad preaching. I was, I was, never mind. Um, 
But great preaching is not the end goal. Paul himself said, I don't use clever words, but I demonstrate the power of God, Christ in me, the glory. It's very easy now for us to substitute hearing the voice of God for hearing a preacher. Whether that's on a Sunday morning or in a podcast or on YouTube. And we, oh, I'm listening to the word of God. I'm listening to the word of God. Do you know what I would love? Is a church full of mature people which can go to the Bible and hear the word of God. That can wake up hearing the word of God. The Bible even says this. Let me read it to you. 1 John 2 verse 27. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. The Holy Spirit is the teacher. The Holy Spirit is the evangelist. The Holy Spirit is the pastor. If it is not based on Christ, I do not want it. It's worth nothing. It is just for grass. Everything comes from him. So I wrote down here, I want great services, great worship teams, incredible teaching, incredible children's work. But it is very easy for the church to become a machine, the quality of the service to be the measure, and the focus becomes feeding the machine rather than raising up people into their full potential, complete, perfect, fully mature in their relationship to Christ. I know some of you probably aren't interested in this, but I I know I'm laboring the point. The secret is not better services. The secret is Christ in you, Christ in me, Christ in your neighbour. Not Christ in the, in the leadership, Christ in the body. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, uh, if you're keeping up with me, you're brilliant. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. Doesn't say for the pastors, doesn't say for the church ministers, says for those who believe in him. Do we have a room full of believers here this morning? Yes. So this is for you. This is the same mighty power, the same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any rule or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. The fullness of Christ living in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the hope for this world? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in your neighbour. That is the secret, that is the power. It's not by might, it's not by The other one, but it's by his spirit. Power, that's it. There we go. It's all about Jesus living in you, moving in you. And I think it's time, I'm I'm giving away my message, but I think it's time for the church to stop waiting for someone else to do something and allow the one that lives inside us to be set free and to change a hurt, lost world. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Let me give you another thing that Paul said in going back another book, Galatians 4 verse 1. You can see where I've been reading, haven't you? What Paul said, Galatians 4 verse 1 says this, What am I saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery until the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now I'm going to take it slightly out of context, but stick with me. And for those theologians in the place which probably know the scriptures better than I do, you'll like the ending because it all fits in the end. An heir is just like a slave while he is a child or she is a child. Now, when I read this scripture, the first thing I think, but wait a minute, God, Jesus said this, that you have to be like a little child to enter the kingdom of God. Now telling me if I'm a little child, I'm not going to get my air. Let me unpack the first one and then I'll come back to this one. When Jesus said, let the, no, you have to be like a little child, he was talking like a really little infant. The word for child in that context means this, someone who is dependent. A child so young that they are dependent on their father or their mother for food, for clothing, for everything they do. They are, think of a little baby, they are completely dependent on their parents. When we came to Jesus... We had to realise that we could do it no longer on our own strength. That we could not be good enough. That we needed a saviour. And so we came to Jesus and said, I give you my life. I know I cannot make it. I know I am not good enough. But I know you will come into me and I put my life in your hands. Christ live in me. What are we saying? I am dependent on Christ in me. Not my own performance. Not my own righteousness. I am dependent on his righteousness and his power working in my life. And as we go through, it's, it's not my love which is the issue, it's his love flowing through me. It's not my forgiveness, it's his forgiveness flowing through me. And as Corinthians says, as we look upon Christ, we are transformed into his very image. In other words, we, as we depend upon him and put our lives on him, he changes into who he is. I have my father's eyes, his DNA. And so I start reacting exactly like he does. In Galatians 4, that's not what we're talking about. The word there, which is used for child, is used in Corinthians again, where it says to put away childish things. It means immature. Whilst an heir is immature, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I've just read to you from Ephesians that we have this incredible power that Christ lives in us, that we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. What stops us moving into our inheritance? We haven't matured. We are still like little children. Now, for those who have parents of teenagers, especially older teenagers, which are now more like in their 20s, maybe, um, you may understand this phenomenon you get up for work, you go out the door and your kids are still asleep in bed, not finding a job or whatever to do, and then you come home to find no one was in to, to take my parcel. Why was no one in to take my parcel? And then you walk through the door and you look in the living room and it's like a bomb's hit it. So that was tidy this morning when I went to, when, went to work and you get into the kitchen and you get met with, I'm hungry, what's for tea?
And you're thinking, you're old enough, clever enough to tidy up after yourself, to answer the door. It would be nice since I've been out all day paying for the house which we live in and the food for you to have actually done some cooking or done something, even just got the hoover out. But no, you just sat on your bum all day, not even sure when you got out of, out of bed. And now you're demanding me when I've just had a hard day at work to come in. It's immaturity. And I know by some of the faces here that some, some of you have either been that teenager or you have been a parent of that teenager and you wish you'd just say, grow up, take some responsibility. Even if you cooked the wrong thing, it would be nice that something was cooked on the table when I came in, even if it was the Sunday lunch, which has now disappeared. But parents get annoyed get frustrated rightly when their children do not mature and do not take responsibility for their actions, responsibility for their room, responsibility for for life. The prodigal son, we read about the prodigal son, we look at the elder brother, and most of us get a bit fixed by the elder brother. The elder brother complains to his father, remember this is supposed to be God God, God the father, not the Godfather, God the father, Explains to, it says to him, why are you jealous for I've killed a cow for your brother and throwing a party? Why are you jealous? Elder brother, this, all of this is your inheritance. Shall I put it another way? All of heaven is open to you. Why didn't you take a cow before and throw your own party? It was your right I wonder how much our Heavenly Father gets frustrated with us because we do not take responsibility for this earth. We do not take responsibility for our lives. We do not take responsibility for our own salvation. See, if they are there as, as a father on a farm and a fence gets damaged, I would like my eldest son to not come to me and, well, I wouldn't like my eldest son to see it and just do nothing. It'd be great if they actually fixed it. The next best thing is come to me and say, shall we fix it? Right there in that parable, I can see God, the father, (laughs) frustrated with the immaturity of the eldest son because they are not moving into their inheritance. We need to be like children, fully dependent on our father, but we also need to grow up into maturity of the faith where rather than actually asking God for everything, we start to move in what God has already given us. He said, go into all to the world and preach the gospel, heal the sick. And we still there, God, shall I go into all the world? Shall I pray for people? He said, I've already told you to, get on and do it. See, on Good Friday, let, let me put it this way. Sorry, let me go back. John. John 12, verse 24, Jesus says this. Truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is the, uh, some Bibles say this is the doctrine of Jesus. He's saying, before, just before the, the, the Last Supper, I'm going to die, I'm going to go into the ground... You want me to stay, but unless I go into the ground, 
I will remain, I will remain one. But if I go into the ground, if I go to the cross and die, there will be much fruit. So this is what happened on Good Friday. Jesus is there on the cross. The disciples think they have lost. Many of them have run away. They are scared. They think it's all over. The Pharisees think they have won. The enemy is laughing, thinking victory is mine. I've I've put the Messiah in the ground. Then a few days later, he's buried, the devil's buried one Christ. But then another little Christ just pops up over here. And then another little Christ pops up over here. And another little Christ pops over here. And another little Christ pops up over here. Why am I saying little Christ? Because Christian means little Christ. Little anointed one. Let me be clear. You you cannot die for the sins of the world and you are not God. But Jesus died so that Christ could live in you. So that you could bring the power and the glory and and the forgiveness of Christ's message around the world. He went back to heaven. This is, this is where it's so crazy. Jesus is there for three years. He dies. He gives his Holy Spirit to the disciples and then he just decides to disappear off into heaven. Done my bit, I'm off. And he left the responsibility on the church to bring the glory of God to this earth. It is our role to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Is it through our power? No, it's because Christ lives in me. I cannot do it on my own. We've already settled that. It is not my power. It is not my power, my might. It is his spirit in me that brings the glory to God to this earth. That's what Jesus died for. So that you can shine as a light in your workplace. So that you can shine as a light on your street. So that the power of God can overflow and his glory can cover the whole earth. The same power that was in Christ, the same power that raised him from the dead lives in you. That is the inheritance. Finney, a 19th century revivalist. I like like stories about Finney. I'll just read this one to you. As Finney walked into the cotton mill, one of the opponents of the meeting, a young lady employee, saw him. Looking at her co-employee, she began to laugh. Some writers say she made a cynical remark about Finney and his meeting. In a spirit of prayer, Charles Finney simply looked at this young lady without saying a word. As he kept looking at her, being grieved by her criticism, the lady stopped working as she had broken her thread. She became so upset that she couldn't repair the thread and start again. The Spirit of God mightily convicted her of her sin to the point that she began to weep. Soon her companies were convicted. Companions were convicted and began to weep. A chain reaction occurred as hundreds began to be overcome by their lost condition. The factory owner, seeing this, was deeply moved himself and said, stop the mill and let the people attend to religion, for it is far more important that our souls be saved than the factory run. All the workers were assembled in a very large room and Finney said, a more powerful meeting I scarcely ever attended. Within a few days, nearly every employee was saved. Some accounts say all were saved. Several authors say there were 3,000 employees in the factory. What happened? Charles Finney walked into a building. What was the secret? Christ in him. Christ in Finney. Wouldn't it be great if Charles Finney walked into your workplace, down your street, 
The same spirit that was in Charles Finney lives in you. To, to the same measure, to the same power, to the same authority, it lives in you. We have a room full of potential Charles Finney's here. A room full of potential revivalists. It's not because you're clever. It's not because of what you've done. It's because you surrendered to Jesus at the cross and he filled you with his Holy Spirit. And that spirit that raised Christ from the dead is available to you. But not only available to you, it's available to a hurt, dying, lost world who need to know that Jesus lives and that Jesus is interested in them and Jesus loves them. The secret resides in you. The secret is the Holy Spirit. You see, the world needs Jesus. Let me put it a different way. The world needs the Holy Spirit because it's the Holy Spirit who comes upon and gives us a conviction of sin. Let me put it from another angle. The world needs you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I believe it's time for the church in this, in this nation to wake up. To wake up and realise the inheritance that we have. To stop relying so much on, on, on the fanfare, on the show, and instead rely on Christ himself. We don't need an amazing band. We, can, we could do without an amazing band, as amazing as we love you. But we cannot do without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do without the Holy Spirit. We can have an amazing communicator up here, but if they're not communicating through the Holy Spirit, it's pointless. We need the power of God, and the power of God resides in you. Can I have the worship team back? I want us to pray. And after I've prayed, we're going to pray for anybody who wants a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. Because if you want to see this nation change, we need the Holy Spirit to flow through us and out of us. If we want to see a nation changed, we want to see the Holy Spirit flow in and out of us. He that is within me is greater than he that is in the world. And it's time for the one that is greater to be the one which affects our actions, our speech, our behaviours. So Father, I'm going to pray, but if you want to say any of these things to yourself and, and, and pray yourself, you do that. Father, I am sorry for where I've relied on structures and systems and clever thinking when I needed to rely on you. Lord, I, I'm sorry for when I've made it all about myself, where I've given myself excuses, where I've trusted in formulas. This morning, I come to you, Jesus. I say, have your way in me. I lay my life again down at the foot of your cross. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I give you my life and I let you, Christ, live in me. Change my thinking change my heart where my eyes have become blind Lord where I put scales and become distracted and gone the wrong way Father I pray that you bring me back into alignment Jesus will you fill my thoughts Jesus will you fill my mind 
Jesus. Jesus, be glorified in me today. Be glorified in me today. And this morning, once again, I open up my life to you, Holy Spirit. Dear Holy Spirit, dear Holy Spirit, come and fill me afresh. Come and saturate my soul. Live in me, breathe in me, let your eternal life flow through my veins, Lord. Holy One, make me holy as you are holy. Holy Spirit, saturate my life. I choose this morning to put my attention back onto you. I choose this morning to allow to be led in every area of my life by you. And I'm sorry where I have ignored your voice, ignored your calling. But Holy Spirit, I am here for you. Come and fill me afresh. Come and fill me.